conclude John 20 today. And we got down to verse, I believe it was 18 last week. I think it was 19 actually. So what we're going to do this morning is try to conclude the chapter and then if we have time I would like to discuss some historical proofs of Jesus' resurrection outside the Bible. And uh, we may touch on 1 Corinthians 15 if we get that far. We'll see what we can do. So, to recap, it's the first day of the week, and the women come to the tomb. Uh, There's a big earthquake, and the stone is rolled away. And two angels appear. Jesus' body is gone. And uh, they appear to Mary and the other women. Later, uh, Jesus appears to Mary. And Jesus appears to the other women. Peter and John are told about the resurrection. They come to see for themselves. John believes Peter is really perplexed. He doesn't know. And so that's basically where we are. And then um, Mary doesn't know if it's the gardener or who it is that is um, appearing to her. So we'll read uh, 19 and 20 there. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples were rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Um, One thing I failed to mention last week is uh, there was a seal, a Roman seal on the tomb. And because of that, it was very difficult to get that seal uh, taken off. And, of course, you would be in some serious trouble if you did that. Well, it's gone when Jesus, uh, you know, is resurrected. And uh, we don't know whether it's the uh, earthquake or whether the angels did it or what happened there. But that seal was gone. And so... um, I just thought I'd throw that out. I think I forgot to mention that in the prior two lessons. Um, The apostles were afraid. Um, They had seen Jesus crucified, and they thought, well, we're lesser than he was. Uh, So what will they do to us? Um, This is the evening on Sunday, the resurrection day. Uh, Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women. And Peter, uh, we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Cephas was Peter's original name. And before he became a member of Jesus' uh, apostles. So, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to 1 Corinthians, if we get that far. Um, The apostles were either in their own homes, in the upper room, or wherever, hiding out. And Jesus appears to the disciples 
even though the doors were shut. So it's as if, just as he had done through the burial clothes, he just passed right through them, he passed right through the doors of where the apostles' word appears to them. So, um, uh, Jesus shows them his hands and his side, and they are very relieved, and they rejoiced. And Thomas was not amongst them. So, we'll find out what happens when he is amongst them later. So, Moving on to 21 through 23, unless anybody has any comments or questions. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. Them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Okay. Um, Jesus tells the apostles that he is sending them to preach the good news of his resurrection. He breathed the Holy Spirit on, on them. You know, this is reminiscent of, you know, God creating the, the universe. He, you know, he breathed and, and it was there, you know. So, you know, this is the Holy Spirit that uh, was promised in John chapter 16 that we covered uh, a few, few chapters ago. Um, the, the apostles had been baptized into John's, the Baptist, uh, baptism of water, but they're now being baptized with the Holy Spirit, Luke 3.16. And this is going to allow them to forgive sins of those who, who are penitent, not just everybody, perform miracles. They will soon preach in Jerusalem on Pentecost and those who respond to the gospel will be baptized. And we see that on Pentecost in Acts 2.38 to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The authority of the apostles and who they pass their miracles, uh, miraculous works onto are retained until the written word is completed. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 13.10 and James 1.25. Talking about the, when, you know, uh, a perfect law of liberty there in James 1.25. Um, another thing that breathing the Holy Spirit on them served was to completely open their eyes to understand his mission. Now they understand that he, was, it, he must come to this earth to suffer, bleed, and die on the cross and be raised on the third day for perpetuation of men's sins or to, as, a, as a sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. And they understand that now. And they, so they're not like Peter was trying to cut off the servant's ear and and, you know, take on the uh, Jews and everything. So they, this, this is kind of like a light bulb moment for them. They, um, they kind of see exactly what, in most respects, what was all, this was all about. So, 
Anybody got any questions about that? I don't know if I can answer them, but not. <laughs> if you got it. Is that where the apostles couldn't, uh, like I said, they, they basically remembered everything that Jesus told them, or what Jesus had spoke to them, what to be written down uh, as Jesus' word. They couldn't, you know, they wrote it down word by word. Uh, well, I'm not sure about that, but I, I will say this that. You know, when they penned the gospel, of course, they used probably their own language and that sort of thing and their own writing style and who who they wrote the gospels to was uh, important also. But as far as maybe an understanding of it, it was a better understanding now of what they, under, you know, and of course the gospel was going to be... Uh, they were going to be guided by the Holy Spirit when they did that. So uh, that being the case, there wouldn't be any conflicts, there wouldn't be discrepancies or error or anything like that because the Holy Spirit, you know, was guiding all of them when they wrote. So I don't know if that is, is what you... I don't know if that's what... Uh, Right. Right. Can can you imagine that? Okay, they probably knew the Old Testament pretty well. I mean, I, I would think they did, but I mean, these were some of them were just fishermen and you know tax collectors and that sort of thing. But if they were in the temple, and most a lot of them, most of them were back then, and. You know, they probably had heard all these Isaiah 53 and 55 and Psalms 22 and Psalms 16, all these, you know, references of their whole lives and had probably not really understood what was meant by them. But now it's like it, it really kind of dawned on them, I guess, for lack of a better word. But uh, um, so, yeah, Brother Terry, I think that's, Kind of, you're right. That's really, it's it's coming together for them now. So, uh, oh, they, they did have a better understanding, but in Acts chapter two, it's when they received the That's very true, Nathan. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on them, that gave the apostles an understanding of what to say to, to begin the church. As way I understand that. Does anybody have any different feeling about that? And, of course, to Cornelius in Acts uh, 10, that's when the Gentiles start getting the Holy Spirit right there. But yeah, I think it's a little bit of a different, different way of the Holy Spirit worked in this verse versus in Acts chapter two. So uh, Peter, was, Peter was promised the other day the keys to the kingdom, so he he opened that up with the Jews. Uh, but then later on, the keys also to the Gentiles. 
That's right. That's right. Appreciate that. It, it, the Holy Spirit mainly was it had a lot of different functions, but you're right. It was guiding them into all truth, and that's bound to be a really good comfort there uh, to know that um, this clock's got 8:08 right here. I don't guess that's right, is it? Um, but anyway, that's bound to be a lot of a very good comfort there, knowing that whatever you say is going to be the Holy Spirit guiding you and you don't have to worry about um, you know what what you say being an error or something. So okay, we'll move on. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's also Yeah, it's even mentioned in the first chapter of Acts, isn't it? Yeah, they're still thinking that he's going to do that before he ascends there, right? As he's about to ascend. Yeah, so they don't have a complete understanding there, do they? Uh, that's a good point there, Larry. So, um, so let's look at 24 and 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Uh, Didymus means twin. And, uh, you know, tradition says that Thomas had a twin brother. And... Thomas is singled out as an unbeliever. All of them disbelieve. But, but the thing about it is, you know, even though Thomas didn't believe, well, neither, none of the apostles really believed. So, you know, he's, he's given a bad rap nowadays, uh, well, throughout history, or throughout uh, Christian dispensation. But it wasn't just him. All of them didn't believe. Didn't believe. So... Um, uh, so Thomas was not with them originally, and but apparent, the, the apostles tell Thomas about Jesus' appearance, and it's eight days later here. Um, so Thomas is so doubtful that he says that even if if I don't see the, um, the the nails in his hands, scars, and the uh, and the side imprint in his side, I'm not going to believe this. Um, 
And so that's how he gets his name Doubting Thomas today. Um, but you know, if you'll, you'll recall about Thomas, uh, in John eleven sixteen, Jesus told the apostles that, they, that he had to go to Jerusalem. And this was right before Lazarus was raised from the dead. And Thomas was the one who said, let us go that we may die with him. So, you know, Thomas is, was not really, you know, he had some good traits there. And um, we'll, you know, another thing that we could, we could say about Thomas is tradition says that he went to India and preached there um, after Jesus' resurrection and was actually dying. He died a martyr there. So, you know, um, sometimes history doesn't do people, you know, their justice on their, when they, you know, label them like this. And, and, that, and we know we don't need to do that anyway. So, um, but Thomas, you know, like the other apostles, except for John, he died for the faith. So, um, he also gives us an example that we should check everything. Don't believe just anything because someone tells yeah. you. Yeah, that's true. Ver- verification. Trust but verify. Isn't that what Ronald Reagan used to say? Yeah, we need to... He, that's very true. It was trust. He, he, um, he didn't... He, he wanted to see for himself. But, you know, um, we'll, we'll get into that too, that Jesus... Jesus said that he, he, you know, blessed are the ones who believe without seeing. And that's going to be all of us, you know. So we'll talk about that. Uh, John twenty twenty six. after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. So Jesus joins the, the disciples eight days later. Thomas is there. And the miraculously, it goes through the doors again without really opening the door. So um, Jesus is doing some really uh, miraculous things here. He can pass through walls, and but he can still eat fish, as we'll find out in John 21, I believe, when... Uh, Brother Tim talks to us next week about that. Um, so they're in there fearing the Jews still. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And this is the second time he's appeared to the apostles, the first time with Thomas. Um, you notice that Jesus has a lot of compassion here. Um, Brother Mazalago in his um, sermon on this or his class on this lesson he said something about you know can you imagine if this had been a normal human a regular human being that appeared to these apostles and after they had you know abandoned him like they did and didn't didn't uh you know stay with him the whole time you know you'd be saying well why did you do that you know i and just not having compassion like they should, and, you know, they might be a little revenge going on there. But this is, uh, Jesus is, is the God-man that we've talked about, and he has compassion. He loves everybody, especially, of course, his apostles here. He knows what their future holds, that they're going to be uh, 
out there spreading the gospel to the world and, um, and, and you know, converting the whole world. I think they had, I think it's Colossians 1.23 says that it was spread to the whole world. And so he's, he's basically saying, you know, take comfort. Peace be with you. I'm here. I did, I was resurrected from the dead, as the prophet said. And um, so, you know, um, Jesus is completely, you know, different from, from men in that regard. He doesn't take vengeance on anyone. Um, so we go to 27 to 29, and then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see, see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing Thomas answered and said to him my Lord and my God Jesus said to him uh, because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who do not see and yet they believe so Thomas confesses Jesus as Lord he basically worships Jesus after he's seen him with sight um, so he, it took for him to see the actual scars, and he did. Uh, and he, he, he comf- Jesus comforts him, says, now do you believe? And he knows Thomas is going to be a preacher of the gospel, as we talked about earlier. Um, he pronounces a blessing on those who believe in the future without having seen the risen Jesus. Uh, so that's going to be... You know, the majority of the um, converts to Christianity have not seen a risen Jesus. Uh, They, you know, uh, it's it's witnesses. It's witnesses like Mary Magdalene who, uh, you know, uh, have told that Jesus did. And, of course, we only have written witnesses of that. Um, So our faith is based on the written word and our own faith. Um, so, um, so Thomas worships Jesus, and we're never going to have that sight. So uh, does anybody have any comments about that? Because, you know, I thought it was interesting that we, you know, it's a complete different ball game, so to speak, with those Christians and us, and any, really anybody after the, generations died out that had seen Jesus there. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I've thought about this over the years, and I don't know if anybody else has. Maybe I'm just strange. But, you know, we have, it, except for the Word of God that we have complete, completed, we haven't had any revelations in the last 2,000 years. So, uh, you know, we're different in that regard, I would think, than any human beings all the way up until, you know, now in that regard. I mean, has anybody ever thought that way or thought about that? But uh, anyway. We had to appear to the apostles because that's the only they could be qualified as an apostle. Right. One thing, they had to be with him since his uh, baptism, too. That's about it. That's why Paul was an apostle there. Out of time, Jesus appeared to him. 
So at um, this point, at verse 29, really this is the, the, the unofficial end of the Gospel of John because now, up until this point, it's been to, you know, dialogues between Jesus and the apostles and, and uh, you know, events that have happened. But this, um, verse, on verse 30 and 31, Jesus, uh, uh, John, John turns to the reader and says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. So, John is concluding uh, this chapter. Uh, Chapter 21 is going to be... um, about Jesus appearing back to the apostles again when uh, they were fishing. but uh, And then uh, I think Tim will get into that. But uh, this, this is where the reader is asked, that now, I've told you all about this, and I've shown you all these miracles, and I've shown, told you about the resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe? It's your turn. Do you believe? So... Um, you know, I thought that was interesting, and then, which are not written in this book. You know, they said that uh, one of the writers says that there's so much that Jesus did that you couldn't really write it down. So there's no telling how many miracles that he actually did, and how many you know different uh, things that he actually d- uh, uh, did. That you know, the apostles are just mere human beings; they couldn't write down everything he had done. And nor would it be, you know, really a... Books couldn't contain it. Books couldn't contain it. That's right. They could not contain it. Uh, We'd have, you know, wouldn't be enough paper to write down what he had done. So so that effectively ends uh, that chapter. I wanted to go over the, um, the appearances that Jesus had made after the resurrection, and uh, I'm only going to go over part of them because the rest of them will be in, I think it's six, because the rest of them will be in the book of, uh, uh, in, in chapter 21 that Tim will, care, uh, will care, uh, cover next week, and also in 1 Corinthians 15. But Mary Magdalene was the first one he had appeared to, and she was the one who, of course, had helped fund Jesus' ministry. She had seven demons, very poor in spirit. I think I said something a little out of turn last week. I wanted to correct that. I said she was poor. Well, she wasn't poor. She was poor in spirit. She, was, she, was, uh, she helped fund Jesus' ministry along with the other women, but... Uh, Anyway, it talks about her in Mark 16 and in John 20. And then there's the other women that were with Mary, and they were Salome and Joanna, mother, the Mary, the mother, Mary, the mother of James, and there was at least one other woman that was unnamed because these four are named, and it talks about women, plural. So 
there were five or more women who Jesus appeared to. And then there's Peter um, in Luke 24:34, and in 1 Corinthians 15:5, where he's called Cephas. And then there's two disciples, the ones on the way to Emmaus. That's Cleophas. Um, tradition has it that this is Jesus' uncle. This was the uh, blood brother of Joseph, who is probably dead by now, Jesus' uh, father, and his um, wife probably that were appeared to on the way to um, uh, Emmaus. So um, in another form, as we talked about um, last week. Uh, then we got a, the apostles with Thomas and the apostles or without Thomas and the apostles with Thomas. So that uh, are the, those are six appearances um, and then we'll, well, that's as far as we'll get with the appearances there. Let's see how we're doing on time. Not very well. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about, I'm going to see if I can't um, I'll see how far I can get with this. All right. Um, there are at least five evidences of Jesus' resurrection from outside the New Testament. And one of them is from a, um, a historian by the name of Tacitus. And I'll read this. Um, okay. He said that Nero fastened the, the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, for, from whom the name had his origins, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius of the hands of, at the hands of Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. So this is from outside the New, New Testament, and it was written in A.D. 64 by a Roman historian named Tacitus. Uh, so we learn from this that he is very unsympathetic to Jesus and early Christians. Uh, he reports that Christians derived their name from a historical person called Christus, and in Latin, that is Christ. And he had suffered the extreme penalty uh, of Rome by being executed and being crucified. Uh, this is in the early reign of, of, uh, uh, of the um, Roman uh, Caesar um, Tiberius. And by the sentence of Pontius Pilate, this confirms that the Gospels tell about the death of Jesus. So, you know, this is really good evidence right here that, um, that Jesus existed, first of all, and that he was crucified. Another one is uh, from Pliny the Younger. Um, he, in about 112 A.D., he, uh, he was, um, letters of Pliny the Younger, to, I'm trying to kind of move this along because I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish it or not. He was a Rome, uh, Pliny was the Roman governor of, of Bithynia in Asian Minor. In one of his letters around 112 AD, 
He asked uh, Trajan's advice about the appropriate way to conduct legal proceedings against those accused by being Christians. At that point, he wrote, uh, they are in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before its light when they sing, it, they sing in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as if he's a God and they bind themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word or deny trust when they should be called upon to deliver it after which it was their custom to separate their and reassemble to partake food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. So, you know, this, this is a very good evidence of how a Christian worship service is conducted in A.D. 112. Um, the ordinary food that it's talking about there is, you know, the communion, the uh, bread and the fruit of the vine. And, you know, the Catholics a lot, and a lot of other, um, you know, they, they actually say it's a transubstantiation and it becomes the actual blood and, and body of Christ. Well, this right here tells you that it didn't in A.D. 112. And it tells you that they sing praises as if to a God. Well, you know, God and Jesus, they are uh, our God. So, you know, this was a very, uh, you know, good evidence of the uh, resurrection and the evidence for Jesus being, being you know, actually a historical figure there. Um, perhaps the best uh, evidence is from the Jewish historian Josephus that we know wrote the Antiquities of the Jews and the Jewish Wars. And he wrote in... Let's see, I believe it was, it was in, it was before A.D. about like 90, because I think that's when he died. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ, he was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and, tri and the tribe of the Christians has not yet disappeared. Okay, there are uh, disputes over whether this entire block that was written by Josephus was completely from him. Uh, they know that maybe the first two, two to three sentences were, but the fact that, um, you know, it talked about that he would, has raised from the dead and all that, they claim, some claim, that it was added by Christians in like the third century. We don't know that. But anyway, some of the things that were said here are really good concrete evidence and, and helps our faith because it talks about that Pilate condemned him. We know that to be true. Um, that the Christians didn't give him up after he died and, and was resurrected and that he appeared restored to life and that there's a tribe called Christians to this day. So that's very good evidence right there too. 
the Babylonian Talmud has, uh, that was written in A.D. 70 says this, on the eve of the Passover, Yashu was hanged for 40 days before the execution, execution took place. A herald cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Um, I won't read this, read what it says here because I'll try to paraphrase it, but from what I had read about this, Jashu was the, um, was the um, name in Jewish for Jesus. And the reason it said that he was to be stoned is because that's what the, the Jewish law said should have been done to him. But the Romans got involved and that caused the Roman laws to take over and he was crucified. So, you know, pretty good evidence right there. And then we'll hit the last one here. Lucian, um, a second century Greek satirist, said this, the Christians worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. So this being a Greek satire's He's saying that um, this Christian group, they don't even believe in the Greek gods and, and uh, everybody in Greece pretty much did until Christianity started. So he's basically saying that these people are really devoted to Christ because they're still worshiping him today and they don't, they've renounced the, the Grecian God. So we'll, we'll quit right there. Uh, we didn't make it to 1 Corinthians. And I think Brother Tim will have chapter 21 next week. But I appreciate your attention and your great comments. So, thank you.